0: Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. Hi, everyone. And welcome back to another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you probably notice I don't often have guests on the podcast. This is episode number 113, and until now, I've had one single guest on the podcast, and the other 112 episodes were just me. And it's not for lack of options, but I really want to make sure that I don't have anyone on the show unless I believe they have something extremely valuable or profound to share. And today, I believe we have just that. Today, we have someone who I believe has great wisdom to share about how to become a better investor. So my guest for today is Chad Hufford. Chad's a friend of mine who's a financial planner and owner of Veritas Wealth Management in Anchorage, Alaska, where he and his firm serve over a thousand families as they pursue their financial independence goals. Chad, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, James. Excited to have you. And I think that today, This will be both a timely and a timeless episode for a lot of investors. And and just for context, as of this recording, the NASDAQ so far this year in 2022 is down over 26%. The S&P 500 is down over 16%. The Russell 2000 is down over 21%. In in other words, the markets are down quite a bit. And Chad, as you and I were talking about what would be a really valuable message for the most people, we just thought that a conversation about how to become a better investor would be most appropriate. So we'd love to hear from you, just why is that? Why is it the theme of how to become a better investor as opposed to maybe finding the best investments?
1: Well, when I started this, when I started my practice about 15 years ago, um, and your story is probably similar, James, I thought a good financial advisor helped people find better investments. And while that is certainly part of what we do, what our primary value is, is helping people become better investors, to better utilize the tools at their disposal. And what I've learned over the past decade and a half, those are two completely different things. And we see a huge performance gap, not between funds or your funds and some arbitrary index, but performance of investor returns and investment returns people don't fully utilize the investments that they have at their disposal so we we can't just keep providing people with new better tools whatever a perfect investment looks like because it really isn't a perfect investment i think what what creates success in the long run is persistence and perseverance not perfection Hmm. and if we can focus on that, investors will get the results that they're looking for.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and there's an analogy you're sharing with me that I think really stood out. And, um, I fully agree where it seems like, and this isn't just investing, by the way, this is just a rule of life. This is a principle of life where there's this sense that there's something out there that will solve all our problems. And the reality is it's something in here that will solve a lot of our problems. And, you know, share share with the audience the analogy you were using with me of, of comparing even to the gym and how that kind of plays out in investments.
1: Well, you're, you're absolutely right. We, we want something out there. We want a pill. You know, we want to just snap our fingers and everything is magical and wonderful. And, you know, if you think of, of, of going to a gym, you have access to all this equipment, dumbbells, free weights, treadmills. And everybody who's a member of that gym has the same access. But if you look around, there's a huge disparity in how people are utilizing what they have access to. Some people look like they just stepped off of a a stage or out of a fitness magazine, and other people look like they just stepped out of a Krispy Kreme shop. And it's not a difference of access. It's a difference of execution. And I, I think a lot of advisors, a lot of... People in the financial world the financial media is telling people we need to somehow figure out How to create a better treadmill and James Mm -hmm. you and I are are realizing no We just need to get people to walk on it and to stay on the treadmill Especially during times like this where it's uncomfortable. It's this is when people want to get off. They want to stop walking And I was thinking back uh, to a, a plaque in my gym and it says you know, if you were experiencing dizziness, trouble breathing, shortness of breath, uh, high heart rate, fatigue, stop exercising immediately. And I'm thinking if, if I followed that to a T, I'd never finish a workout. That's Mm -hmm. what exercising feels like. Mm -hmm. It's uncomfortable and investing is uncomfortable as well. But we need to remember as investors that, that, that pain is different than harm, Mm -hmm. just like it is in the gym. And, If we can help investors to stay on the treadmill, even when it hurts and continue to execute a long-term plan, that is what opens up opportunity for success, not, not a pill, not a perfect investment and not some magical treadmill.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I think that's so true. And I think that's an analogy that people will resonate with because we've all been to a gym or been somewhere. And we do see the fact that people with the same exact access have very different results. So we can get that conceptually, uh, results don't just follow access. So are there good investments? Yes, there's plenty of good investments, but can you still have horrible results using good investments? 100%. So as we're talking about this, um, as we're really helping people, you you and I with clients understand what to focus on, understand what not to focus on. A lot of it comes down to principles of what principles can we follow and, and there's principles and those principles kind of lead to certain behaviors or practices or actions that you can take from them as an investor and as someone who advises others uh, as to how to best invest before just getting into you buy this stock or this investment or this fund. I I think there's this sense of how do we coach upon what are the principles that we use and what are the principles that we believe that lead to some of those uh, specific actions to take. Walk us through some of that. Where do you like to start when it comes to just even the behaviors or the understanding before jumping into to principles and actions?
1: Sure. And I think it really starts with a sense of agency, James. And, and right now, in, in, every time we hit periods of volatility, and, and even when the sun is shining and everything seems calm and nice and, and comfortable, the emphasis in the financial world is almost on things outside our control. It's what's the economy doing? What's the what's the next thing that's going to crash or what's the next thing that's going to shoot the lights out. But I think it's important to restore a sense of agency Mm -hmm. that what we do, our actions are the largest driving force in our success. And yeah, there's good luck. There's bad luck. There's things that happen, but it's restoring that sense of agency that I can act upon things that I, that I have control over. I've influence at least maybe not control, but influence over. And those are going to be the bi- biggest determining factors. They're not going to guarantee success, but they give me the best shot possible. And I think to what you just said, it starts with mindset. Mm-hmm. We have to think right before we can act right. And if we, if we don't have the right mindset, the right principles, the right thought process, we'll never be able to sustain the right behavior. Mm-hmm. So it starts with that. And I think right now, one of the most important things I'd say principle one is just faith in the future and everything else falls underneath that. Because if we don't have faith in the future, a a sense of optimism, there's no point in saving anyway. Mm -hmm. Why, why would we save if we don't think there's a future out there? Mm -hmm. Why would we invest if we don't think we're ever going to be able to retire or if we just think the world's going to end and you've heard the Armageddon scenarios, everything's going to collapse. We're going to go back. It's going to be middle ages or it's going to be Mad Max, some, some form of Armageddon. Well, if that was the case, comfortable retirement is out the window anyway. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be worried about our 401k balances when some guy is chasing us with a chainsaw. Mm-hmm. It just it not going to happen. So we need to have some sort of faith in the future, some sort of optimism before any of this even makes sense. That's what we're that's what we're sacrificing for and investing, planning for retirement. It absolutely is a sacrifice. And unless we believe that there's something better out there that we're working towards,
0: there's no sense in making a sacrifice. Now, um, how do we, I'm pushing back against it. Cause I fully agree, but that, you know, people listening to this say, well, how are we supposed to have faith in the future when there's there's this inflation issue and there's this issue with Russia and Ukraine and there's this issue with what's the Fed gonna do and is that gonna push us into a recession like I don't have control over those things but those things seem like they're impacting my portfolio do I just have blind faith it, it just that hey everything's gonna work out and just close your eyes and hope for a better future how do you coach people through that
1: well I have to remind people what we've already been through too The world has always been a scary place, but you look at everything just in the last, last few decades, world wars, major economic collapse, the cold war, um, multiple pandemics, not, not just COVID from a couple of years ago, but the advances in spite of that. And, and I. I, I actually want to want to come back to a quote that you turned me on to. It was um, Kevin Kelly um, who said, "We should be optimistic, not because our problems are smaller than we thought, but because our capacity to solve them is larger than we thought and if you look at where the world is yes it's it's scary yes there's a lot of, of bad things that happen in our world, but it 's always been like that and Companies, the companies that you and I, and the folks we work with, have a, have an opportunity to buy. They have created phenomenal advances. Um, I was looking at some statistics from the world bank, um, by their definition of poverty, which is a dollar 90 a day per headcount. Um, over 35% of the world's population just 30 years ago was in poverty. Right now, that number is less than 10%. People have an unprecedented access to, to health care, to clean water, to, to medicine, to information through the internet, um, things that we would not even believe were possible 30 years ago. My, my iPhone, which my kids give me a hard time about because it's an iPhone 7 and it's, it's old and it's not cool anymore. It's outdated. I get it but there's more computing power in my iPhone than was available to the entire NASA mission, trying to bring people back from Apollo 13. So like when I think of all those things, I guess the analogy I would give to switch analogies, switch metaphors, James, is it's kind of like a Mission Impossible movie. The, The villains change each episode or each movie, the villains are different, but the plot is all basically the same. It's just the details that change and companies have been absolutely resilient in their ability to circumvent hurdles, not without difficulty, not without challenges and not without some pain and uncomfortability, but to provide this continual March forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to borrow another quote from Kevin Kelly, uh, where he says this, he says, bad things happen fast. while good things take longer. So when we ask what has happened in the last news cycle, the last five minutes, only fast moving things show up, which are mostly bad news. Good takes longer than a news cycle. So most news in any media, even responsible ones is bad news. If newspapers and websites were only updated every 50 years, they might report literacy is up, longevity increased, violence is down. And we see that, you know, what, what do we see right now? Well, we see stuff that's happened really quickly. You know, the, the Ukraine stuff, we'll see inflation stuff. We'll see uh, bad news with just any time you turn on the TV, there's bad things happening. And it's because that good stuff, it happens. But poverty decreasing, like you talked about, greater access to clean water, wars as a whole decreasing, murders decrease. You, you don't wake up and see that. I think he also mentions in another piece, I'm going to misquote it, but something like Good news is the 92-year-old that, that didn't die. Good news is the boy walking to school that wasn't robbed. Good news is, is the 12-year-old girl that wasn't married to the 30-year-old man. We, we just don't hear that, but that's you, progress. You, you can't report on things that never happened. Yeah.
1: So yeah. the the thousands of children that didn't starve to death in this country this morning because they have access to – a constant supply of food or, or nearly constant supply of food, not everybody, but, um, you can't report on what didn't happen and it doesn't make the news because of the things that you just mentioned. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. another quote I like, um, by Thomas Macaulay says, on what principle is it that we see nothing but improvement behind us? Or are we to expect nothing but deterioration before us? Yeah. And again, it's, it's not that this world doesn't have difficulties and challenges but the innovation that has continued its advance. I think COVID is a great example of it, where c- companies were able to pivot so quickly through mediums just like this, where you and I were able to, cons- to continue to get in front of our clients and encourage them and see face-to-face, talk people through their fears. Um, restaurants switching to takeout. I mean, it's just, it, it was amazing how our world pivoted, how companies pivoted so quickly.
0: Yeah. And I th- this this seems like, well, what does this have to do with investing? Well, it has everything to do with investing. It's not this blind optimism or this naive optimism of, oh, I just close my eyes and hope for the best. It's the sense that we're not optimistic, you and I. We, we feel like we're just realistic. This is yes. just with what aligns with human nature and the human condition, which, yes, there's plenty of bad stuff. We're not We're not here with our heads in the sand saying there's no bad in the world. There's plenty of that. But human progress is what rises people out of poverty, which what raises the standard of living, which what increases people's ability to, to do more. And that's really the backdrop against which we, not just we, but everyone uh, is investing. So I think understanding that is, is, is very important. So uh, just optimism about the future, kind of principle number one, or belief in the future. What else would you tie into that? What other principles?
1: The next one is patience. And that may seem a little silly, Following on the heels of us talking about how quickly our world is changing, but it's because our world is changing so quickly that patience is absolutely essential and it's impossible to have patience if you don't have faith in the future. Hmm. So why am I being patient today? What am I waiting for if things are only going to get worse? So if you don't have the first one, all the rest of these, I think kind of fall off, but, but patience, waiting for good decisions to play out over time. And you, you just said it that, that bad things happen fast. Good things take time. Good things happen slowly. Um, so we've got faith in the future and we're patiently waiting for that to manifest itself. Mm-hmm. But if we didn't believe in faith in the future, then we might as well have the attitude, eat, drink and be merry. Cause tomorrow we're going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we're, these are kind of building blocks a little bit. Yep. So I think patience, if if you think about it, is the resistance to reaction. Hmm. It is standing still when the world is running around like a chicken with its head cut off. Hmm. And sometimes nothing is the hardest thing for people to do. When we wake up and you gave the numbers on the various indices where they're at and people are freaking out and panicking. And sometimes we have to tell people, don't just do something, stand there. And that is very difficult to do. Um, going back to the gym analogy, it's kind of like somebody who's always switching workouts, switching diets. My sister-in-law is on a new diet like every three or four weeks, and she gets frustrated. It's not working, and, and this diet didn't work. And like, well, you know, you, you did it for seven days. You've spent 20 years eating the wrong thing. You thought seven days was going to fix it. But this constant switching where if you just stuck with it, 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 it would have results. Um, think about a gardener that is planting seeds one day, digs them up the next day to plant something else there, or to move it around, trying to find a little bit better soil. It kind of goes back to the perfect investment. We want to find the perfect conditions to plant our investments. It takes patience. Yeah. Good things grow slowly. Yeah. And we have to we have to sit back sometimes and do nothing. It's it's the tortoise in the hare, James. no matter how many times you read the book, the tortoise wins every single time. He wasn't faster. He didn't have more endurance. What he had was patience. And -hmm. he stayed on the path as the the hare took, pun intended, rabbit trails. And that's what a lot of investors do. They get off the path because they they lose patience. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think we both see that. Too often than than we would like to. So there's that faith in the future. There's that patience. And then what's the what's the third kind of principle that makes up the investment philosophy? So
1: I would say the third one is discipline. And and this might sound like two sides the same coin, but if patience is not reacting to bad things or reacting wrongly, discipline is acting appropriately. So so patience is not doing the 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 wrong things. Discipline is actively doing the right things. I thought b- back to your, your tennis analogy from a few weeks ago, um, where your know, patience is not, it's, it's keeping the ball in play. It's not making mistakes. Mm-hmm. And the discipline is just continuing to execute the fundamentals. It's, it's not super f- exciting and sexy. It's just the fundamentals, the basics. We continually execute day after day, year after year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. And this, again, investing is no different than life or these are principles that apply to investing because they apply to life, your gym analogy, faith in the future. Well, if you didn't believe you could get in better shape or improve your health, why would you work out? Why would you waste your time doing that? And it's not just yeah. a, a blind optimism of, oh, I think I can get in better shape. No, it squarely aligns with human reality. If you can get in better shape, if you that's, that's true faith in the future. Patience. Are you are you giving time to see these results or are you switching workout routines? Are you switching diets? Are you switching what um, what you're doing too frequently to be able to realize that? And then discipline, just the ability to consistently act upon that, whether it's with going to the gym, whether it's with investing, whether it's with the way you apply yourself in relationships or in the workplace, whatever it is. I think these are just core global principles uh, that 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 transcend any particular kind of medium of application.
1: Um, they yeah, they're, they're mindsets that have, yeah, so many, so many benefits. And that's the cool thing about investing too, is that if we can learn to control our emotions as it pertains to investing, it spills out into many other areas of, of our life. And, but, but to what you just said, um, and I, I love the idea of that, that gym analogy be, because it is, it is difficult. It is painful in the moment, um. But we have to believe that there's a payoff because just like the gym, I'm gonna go work out here in a couple hours, and it's a leg day, and I'm nervous about it. It's gonna hurt. And when I wake up tomorrow morning, I'm not gonna necessarily feel better. I might be sore. The payoff is not immediate, but I have to continue to to consistently execute with that that long-term faith in the future. And uh I, I wanna bring up a quote. It's by by Jim Rohn. He says, We must all suffer from one of two pains. There's the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. The difference is discipline weighs ounces while regret weighs tons. Mm. I think for you and I, James, we're in the business, not of maximizing returns, but minimizing regret. And part of that means we need to walk through the pain of discipline with people. It is uncomfortable. Yeah. It it hurts. It hurts right now. Oh, sorry.
0: No, no, no. Get, continue that thought.
1: I was just say, just like the gym where, you know, we're, we're going in there, we're trying to feel better and we actually feel worse right away. It's the people that, that maybe rolled over their old 401k in a, into a beauty, beautifully diversified equity portfolio. And they're down 15%. It feels like the wrong thing. And that's like waking up the next morning after a leg day and your legs feel worse than when you started. Yeah. But there's a payoff at the end.
0: Yeah, exactly. I I love the quote by Jim Rome that you mentioned. Another one I love is discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. Yes. What do we want now? Well, we want to avoid pain. We want to eliminate uncertainty. We don't want to have to worry. We, We want to stop. Well, what do you want most? You want financial independence. You want the freedom to choose. You want financial security for you and your family. And, and you can have one or the other, but you can't have both. And so how do we coach people through the things that are just as an investors? How do we do the things that bring on pain? But that pain is short term and it's fleeting and it passes in order to avoid the pain of regret that's permanent and avoid the pain of not being able to do what's actually most important. And so comparing and contrasting this is so hard because we live in the here and now and investing long term sometimes means 10, 15, 20 years. And so we don't live in 10 year blocks or 20 year blocks. So how can we coach ourselves and, and see the big picture? Um, it's crucial to, to having that long term success. So these are these are great principles. I love them. Faith in the future, patience, discipline. So what? how do I go about doing that? What are the practices that I can consistently execute upon to take these principles that I now know to be true and apply them to my investments?
1: I think the first step is to own companies. Hmm. To, to own equities. And when I say this, James, my my vision of this is not just a handful, it's hundreds, even thousands of companies in broadly diversified mutual funds, some large companies, some small companies, some international companies, some U.S. companies. Um, but it's owning companies rather than lending to them. We want mm-hmm. people to be owners, not loaners. Mm-hmm. And, and if you don't have the, the first three mindsets, it's very, very difficult to own equities because they do fluctuate a lot in the short term. And people say they hate volatility. They don't. We love volatility when it's in the up direction. That's volatility. Yeah. Yeah. It's just right now when it's down, it makes it difficult to own if you don't have discipline, patience, and faith in the future. Whereas other investments are much more comfortable and things like bonds and fixed income they don't fluctuate as, as quickly. So we call them safe. And mm-hmm. I think there's a huge, huge misconception that somehow safe means stable, I'm sorry, that stable means safe. And we can turn this argument on its head really quickly. Rising cost retirement with a fixed income. There's nothing safe about that. And it, fact is incredibly dangerous. And you mentioned inflation at the beginning of the call, and if if that is truly the dragon that we need to fight, and I believe it is, we have to own companies rather than simply lending to them. Fixed yeah. income in a rising cost world and a rising cost retirement is a recipe for disaster.
0: Yep. Yeah, and I think that to your point, faith in the future is crucial. Otherwise why would I do this? And I you know, preparing for this call and doing some research. Twenty years ago, so 2002, the U.S. stock market was coming off just a horrible three-year return. 2000, there's a dot-com crash. 2001, there was 9-11. 2002, there's a recession. So three pretty profoundly negative years in a row. As an investor, it'd be pretty easy to say to get discouraged and to to lose that faith in the future. And just looking at since then, what well-known companies do we have today that weren't even in existence at that point? Shopify was started in 2006. Today it's a 50 billion dollar company that's after falling over 75 percent in the in the recent months and and not only is that an enormous business but it's allowed a tremendous amount of mom and pop shops to other big companies create a livelihood create a living zoom it was created in 2011 it's a 30 billion dollar company that's after falling 80 plus percent and to your point chad that's a company that allowed many of us to work remotely Not only is it a company that's created value itself, it's created value for our companies, for companies all around the world, and the ability to continue serving customers or clients and working. Uh, Tesla, it was founded in 2003. And depending on the day, it's between an 800 billion to trillion dollar company that employs over 100,000 people. You have Airbnb, it was founded in 2008. It's an $80 billion company. You have Uber founded in 2009, a $50 billion company. And that's faith in the future. In 2002, the the hard part about optimism is you're believing in something that doesn't exist yet. You're you're believing in human ingenuity. Who could have predicted that there would be this company that that changes the way you travel, that there'd be this company that changes the way that you work. There would be this company that changes the way that you conduct business and commerce online. Nobody would have. But there were people, there are people always that are constantly trying to improve the way things work. I think that, you know, I work in San Diego, there's a lot of biotech around here. And it's fascinating when clients tell me the stories of what they're working on at work and the quality of life improvements that are going to be had of that, the longevity improvements. Um, I'm sure you see this all the time. It it makes sense when you tell people, think about your own company. Are you trying to make the world a better place and generate profit for yourself? Or are you you not trying to do that? Everyone can see, oh yeah. Everyone's trying to wake up and provide for their family and create a better future when you multiply that by millions and billions of people, it creates a pretty incredible future. But we're believing in something that doesn't exist yet. You know, 20 years from today, we're going to be talking about some companies that today are just the figments of someone's imagination, Mm -hmm. but will become a reality over the coming years.
1: Not just figments of the imagination. They will be doing things that today we think are impossible. Yeah. And, And what you did, you talked about companies. And that's such a great reminder, James. We're not investing in some ephemeral stock market where it's like this giant casino in the sky. We are investing in companies, real companies. And right now, investors through mutual funds have the ability to buy the most transparent, most innovative, best capitalized companies that have ever been on this planet ever before and buy them neatly packaged. And it's again, it's not easy. It's fairly simple. But the the opportunities facing investors right now are incredible, especially right now during the decline. Not in spite of it, but because of it. The best companies in the world right now are on sale. Yeah. And folks have exactly. to remember the, the declines are temporary. The
0: advance is permanent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and again, without that faith in the future, without just that sense of this is the way things go, there'd be no reason to do this. Chad and I would be the first to say, why on earth would we invest our money? Why would we exchange the, the, the pleasure of consumption today for the security of a better future if the future was gonna be worse than, than today? So that's, that's step one. Um, what about practice two? So you know, owning inequ- owning equities is a good practical application of faith in the future. What are another couple practices to, to put this into play?
1: So we, got, we have to first own companies. And then the second is to diversify. Hmm. We don't own just one or two companies. We don't own just companies in one area. I, I think diversification is a $20 word that gets thrown around. Nick Murray, who I've actually borrowed a lot of these points from, um, he's, he's been a, a mentor of mine for several years, um, and a, a great author, great speaker. But um, he said diversification is... Not owning enough of any one thing to make a killing, but also not owning any, enough of any one thing to get killed. And mm-hmm. that is a great way to encapsulate diversification. It's humbly admitting we don't know what the next hot sector, the next hot company, what it's going to be, or the next one that's going to quietly bleed into the carpet. We don't have to know. We're not worried about what is going to work next. We're going to worry about what's always worked. And strategically diversify into those different types of companies that complement one another. We're not pitting them against each other, large companies versus small, U.S. versus international. We're just looking at history and seeing the long-term returns have been phenomenal in all these different areas. So I want to own all of them all the time, rather than guessing what might be happening next. And it's it's looking at this. I'll use the analogy of an orchard we don't want just one giant tree in our orchard, you know, that would be like having everything in one stock and I'm not picking Mm -hmm. on any one company, but it's when's the last time you saw a Kodak commercial or Mm -hmm. went to a blockbuster, like there's big companies that disappear Mm -hmm. or that that shrivel up Maybe they don't die, but they kind of just shrivel. They don't really produce much fruit anymore. So rather than just owning a handful of huge trees in our orchard, we plant a variety of trees we don 't want just apple trees either i 'm not going to own just the s and p five hundred regardless of how well it 's done over the past twelve years. not because i don 't expect it to be great in the future, but because there 's so many other good comp- companies that complement that. So I plant a variety of trees in my orchard, and investments or investors can do the exact same thing by owning mutual funds,
0: that own different types of companies that kind of come in and out of season at different times. Yep. Yeah. And patience is crucial to that because you are always going to be watching some hot stock that is outperforming your portfolio. There will, by definition, always be not just one stock, but several stocks that are outperforming a more diversified portfolio. But if you can consistently do that, if you have the patience to let it play out, the returns can be enormous.
1: And and we look at performance as if that's some sort of goal to outperform an index. And you're right. We've, when we're diversified, there will always be an index outperforming what we're doing. But the goal is not to outperform some arbitrary benchmark. Is to reach our long-term goals. And and to that point, diversification is strategically planning our investments based on a desired outcome. It's like following a recipe. It's not just randomly mixing ingredients. I've got six kids and you would not want to eat some of the stuff they cook because they're just, the older ones are good, but the younger ones, it's you know a little of this, a little cumin, a little salt, a little sugar, a little pumpkin, a little, they're just mixing everything blindly. That's not diversification. Diversification yeah. is taking flavors, if you will, that complement one another based on a desired outcome. It's reverse engineering and you're right we have to be patient because there's always going to be something out there that looks a little bit sweeter than yeah. what we're doing yeah but that's okay it's yeah. not a horse race against anybody else it's us staying on track for our long-term goals
0: absolutely absolutely so so diversification is the application of patience and then what about discipline what does it look like to put that into practice
1: so i th- that is our next piece and that is so we, we're owning equities, we're diversifying, we are not. We don't have enough money in any one thing to make a killing, we don't have enough money in any one thing to get killed, and then we rebalance. And this is the idea of, of fine tuning. Because we're diversified, our funds aren't gonna always go up and down at the same times or to the same magnitude. There's gonna be some years where, let's say, international emerging markets are shooting the lights out and small U.S. companies are kind of just softly sobbing in the corner. And what most people are wanting to do is buy more of whatever is hot. But in reality, we need to rebalance. And what that does is it sells off a little bit of what is relatively overperforming to buy what is relatively underperforming. And we know this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to sell high, buy low. But it's really hard to do in practice unless we are disciplined, patient, and have a plan and a strategy that we are following because that's exactly what rebalancing does is it, it sells what we have a little bit too much of at a relative premium to buy what we're a little bit lean in at a relative discount. Mm -hmm. And I always encourage folks, we do this at regular pre-planned intervals. We don't wait for an event, just like you don't wait for your car to break down before you do a tune up. It's regularly scheduled maintenance, whether it's once a quarter, two times a year, but pick pick a date in the future, an anniversary, a birthday, the beginning of the year. Uh, otherwise, rebalancing can actually look like uh, kind of closet market timing, where we are, we're seeing an event like, oh, this, this index is really high or really low, this is a good time to rebalance. I think it's good to just schedule this in, for for the folks we work with, it's once a quarter, once every three months. Whether the market is up, down, sideways, or backward, we rebalance, get everything into its predetermined allocations, which are based on long-term goals, and then
0: we move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So that I mean, if this is all kind of coming full circle of just your behavior follows belief. So if you have these beliefs that you have faith in the future, that that, that patience, that discipline matter then this is what you do. So we don't jump right to this. We don't jump right to own this fund or that fund or do this or do that. You start with that mindset of here's what we believe, here's what works. And because of that, that then flows into the um, specific application of that. Anything else to this chat? I mean, I, I think this is so good about it's simple. You hear this and it's there's nothing fancy about this, but to go back to the analogy, it's like, you don't go to the gym that has the fanciest equipment. You just go to the gym and you get your program to work out in and you do it and you do it consistently and it works. What else, if anything, would you add to this?
1: The only thing I would add, and I, I, I couldn't categorize this as a principle or a mindset or a practice because I think it's both. It's gratitude. Hmm. It, we need to have an attitude and a mindset of gratitude, but I think we also need to practice gratitude because gratitude allows you to see the opportunity in a down market. It allows you to see your neighbor outperforming you, but being okay with it because you're still on track for your own long-term goals. It allows you to maintain discipline and patience. It allows you to stay on the treadmill Mm. even when it hurts. And what, what I would encourage folks to try is a little bit of a gratitude exercise in the morning and in, in evening. Um, and I'll just explain real quick, quickly what I do every morning, I write down three things I'm grateful for and I put it on a post-it note and I stick it on the dining room table so my kids can see it because they're oftentimes asleep when I, when I leave for the morning and allows them to dwell on the things that I'm thankful for. So I've already started my day with that. And then what we end our day with, We get the family together and I ask my kids, what was your favorite thing about today? Or what was the best thing that happened today? And what are you most looking forward to doing? You're not going to get any great results with this right away, but it does. It trains our body, trains our minds rather to look for and notice the good that is happening and to remember it because our kids, every night they have to remember the best thing throughout the day. We are all looking for, Oh, this was a really cool thing. I should remember that. Oh, you know what? This other thing happened. It trumped it. It puts us in a frame of mind that feeds every single one of these practices and the philosophies, the mindsets behind them. And I just know from working with, you already mentioned it over a thousand families as, as, uh, as a financial practice, our advisors, the folks that, typically are the easiest to coach and the ones that have not just the most success, but the ones that enjoy it the most are the ones that have an attitude and a practice of gratitude. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the one last thing that I was going to mention as far as the mindset practices. And the other thing I was going to say, going back to the gym metaphor is, uh, this interview with Muhammad Ali. And this was, uh, back in the in the '70s, and they were asking about his workouts, all these push-ups, sit-ups, and squats, all these things that he was doing. And they asked him, "So, I mean, how many push-ups and sit-ups do you do in a workout?" He said, "I have no idea." So, well, you don't count them? He goes, "I do, but not until the pain starts. The reps don't count until it starts to hurt," is what he said. And I think right now, as investors, this is when it counts: when it hurts, when it's uncomfortable when your 401k is looking a little leaner than it did a few months ago, this is when our opportunity really shines as investors. So my encouragement to folks listening, stay on the treadmill, S- stay, stay disciplined, even though it hurts.
0: Yeah, I love that. I'm gonna add on one thing, cause I love this point you brought up. This, you and I both read the book by Morgan Housel, The Psychology of, Wealth, or Psychology of Money, and there's a story he tells where he says, you know, who do you think is the most successful investor of all time? And the first thing that comes to mind for everyone is, well, it's got to be Warren Buffett, right? Mm-hmm. He's he's the most well-known, the most money. And he says, no. and I'm going to get the details wrong, so forgive me, but it, if it's measured by annualized returns, it's Jim Simons of the Renaissance Fund, which has compounded something like 60% annualized returns for some crazy amount of time. Just unbelievable returns. Whereas Warren Buffett, his returns, I forget exactly what they are, but since he started his fund, it's something like... 18 to 20%, you know, maybe getting the numbers wrong, but it's, it's something like that. And he says, the reason that Warren Buffett is so much more well-known at least to the general public is because he's been in the game longer. Mm -hmm. If Warren Buffett did the standard thing and retired at 60 or 65, he'd be an extremely wealthy person down in Florida paying playing golf five times a week, but he wouldn't be this well-known investor sensation. The reason he's so well-known is he's practiced this, the faith in the future of continuing to invest in companies that are going to innovate and improve and grow wealth patience he's not one to sell when things are going crazy he's not one to lose sight of what he's he's doing as an investor and then the discipline to continue to buy things even when the rest of the world is panicked or scared or not willing to do anything so in terms of returns an annualized return he's not near the most successful investor Mm -hmm. But he's absolutely most well-known because he's been able to consistently do this for the longest period of time. So I think as investors, it's how do we do that? Are you going to emulate his actual investment success? Probably not. But if you can mimic those actions and mimic the principles you're talking about here, Chad, there's no reason people shouldn't be able to be on track for their own unique uh, specific goals that they have.
1: Like you just alluded to, I'm going to take it back to the, the metaphor one more time. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. There's people yeah. out there that are faster, that are stronger, that look prettier. But if we can just keep putting one foot in front of the other and execute the small things, the small details, that's where that's where success begins.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Chad, thanks so much for being on. I think this is really, really beneficial. And again, it's a timeless conversation, but it's, it's also timely just giving what we're going through, at least as of this recording. Um, by the time people listen, of course, who knows what the markets are doing, but, uh, good principles to follow regardless
1: well thank you so much for having me on and james i just i believe so much in what you're doing because your podcast is making investors better it's giving them the tools they need to better execute the path ahead and it's just it's a pleasure and an honor to be a part
0: of it awesome well thanks so much chad good to see you and thank you for everyone listening we uh we will see you next time Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. And as always, for a list of the notes and the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. And if you have a question that you would like for me to answer in a future episode, then you can also go to the Ready for Retirement website, readyforretirement.co. And there's a page called Submit Your Question where you can submit a question for me to answer in a future episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey, everyone. It's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.